Please turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation uh, chapter 2. Today we will be looking at verse 18 through 29. Before we look at that, I, I do want to address that passage in Matthew 25, where the disciples asked Jesus, when will the temple be destroyed and, and when will you come in your power and in your glory? And, and Jesus said, you will see war and hear rumors of wars. You will see earthquakes and you will see famine come upon the land. He said, but don't fret, don't worry. Those are not signs of the end. These are things that happen in this world because sin is in the world and yet Jesus says he is sovereign over them, so do not fret. War should break our heart. Suffering should break our heart, but it should not cause us to fret because God is sovereign even over what is happening in Ukraine today even over the horrors that we have the technological capability to watch in real time and live. If you are sucked into the narrative that is presented in the news, I don't care which channel you watch, which station you listen to, they are presenting their own narrative of what is going on, and that narrative is designed to cause you to fret and to worry so that you will watch longer and more and help them pay their bills to the advertisers. Turn it off and pray. Stay informed as you need to stay informed, but turn off the news and pray. You can't do anything by sitting there listening to the pundits rant and rave. God will work through your prayers. So as you are confronted by the horrors of war, turn it off and pray and find the peace that God promises to his people as they focus on the things that are true, the things that are good, the things that are lovely, the things that bring him glory. So as we consider that, let us turn to the letter that Jesus gives to the church in Thyatira, the likely the smallest, um, uh, poorest of the churches, and yet they get the most words, the longest letter. Read with me as we read from Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immor immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her intensive in I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. 
To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Our holy God and father, what a what a glorious reminder we have today that that. Your Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who searches hearts with eyes like blazing fire and who will come in judgment with the strong and glorious feet of burnished bronze. Lord, as we consider these words today, strengthen our hearts. Help us to hold fast to your promises and help us to be faithful to the truths that you have given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From Pergamum, we are going to make a turn to the southeast and and travel 60 miles or so to the city of Thyatira. Now, the city of Thyatira had been established at a crossroads, a a place of of major trade routes. And and local production in the city included bakers, painters, tanners, tailors, potters, coppersmiths, and a somewhat vibrant textile industry. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, we meet a lady named Lydia who had traveled and and had met Paul and and under the ministry of Paul had been converted. And and Lydia was from Thyatira and she is described as a seller of purple goods. Purple dye during this time was extremely hard to make and therefore extremely expensive. And so Lydia would have been somebody who sold to the, the wealthiest of the wealthy. And it was she would have been somebody who would produce and, and sell uh, in, a, in a way that made her wealthy. And she might have been part of the establishment of the church there in Thyatira. We don't know. We aren't told. Within Thyatira was the normal mix that we have looked at of the pagan temples and the temples to the dead uh, emperors that you were expected to worship at if you wanted to have a job or fellowship with friends and family within the city. And so the temptations and difficulties are there like the other cities that that come with that pagan worship in the area. And Thyatira is actually much like Pergamum, except much worse, as we will see as we go along, as the the church is faced with the temptation to compromise in their holiness to which they were called and to tolerate those who preached a different gospel. So Jesus opens his letter by by praising, by commending the deeds of the Thyatiran Christians. In fact, he even said, your deeds are better now than they were in the past when you first started. Most people don't improve in their walk with Christ. They they begin excited and they, they begin to do things and then some of the excitement begins to wear off. You have a new work going on in a city and the work is vibrant and it is attracting people to the area and the and the works are, are, are tremendous. And then they begin to kind of taper off as the excitement wears off, as the newness wears off, as the church has been established for 10 or, or uh, 80 some odd years. But what deeds were they doing that they had grown in, that they had matured in, that they had actually doing better now after having been established for a time than they were at the beginning? Well, the deeds fall into Two categories, deeds of love and deeds of faith. The love that they show here manifests itself in deeds of service. 
the, the word service there is the word that, that we translate as deacon in the book of Acts. It's a word that, that has its root in the idea of meal service, of, of planning and preparing and serving a feast or a, a meal for a group of friends. And, and it grows within the church to, to bring underneath it the umbrella of helping brothers and sisters who are in need. Because the Thyatiran Christians love God and neighbor so much, they are growing in their acts of service to their brothers and sisters within the church. And then their works of faith show themselves in, its perse- in their perseverance. They are growing in their perseverance because they are also growing in faith. How do we persevere under temptation? How do we persevere under the difficulties and the tribulations of this life? We grow in our knowledge an understanding of who God is so that we can love him more, rest in him more, trust in him more. And the, and the Thyatirans, even in light of the, of the things that Jesus is going to hold against them, even in light of that, there was a remnant within the church of Thyatira who was so growing in their knowledge and trust and faith in God that they were continuing to grow in their perseverance as well. You may ask, how do I bear up under the difficulties of this life, under the struggles of family life, under the struggles of work life, of of maintaining friendships in an ever hostile world? Grow in your knowledge and in your love of God. And part of what we need to grow in, part of the understanding that we need to build up is found in the fact that the word deeds the word that is translated deeds there in verse 19 actually shows up five times in this particular passage. If you're, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, you'll see works there in verse 19, and you'll see works four other times throughout the passage. But the deeds that they do are, are the things that they are now doing. It's the same thing. The What you are now doing or that you are now doing is actually literally translated your first deeds uh, or your last deeds are greater than your first deeds. And then later on, we have the, the immoral woman Jezebel that we'll look at and we look at her deeds and then we look at the deeds of those who follow her. And, and our temptation in that is, is as John and Jesus compare the deeds of the faithful Christians to the deeds of the unfaithful Christians in the church of Thyatira, our temptation there is to say, my deeds are pretty good. My works are good enough to get me saved because, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. There's always somebody worse than you to compare yourself to. I'm sure even Hitler could have stood before God and said, well, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, Genghis Khan or somebody like that. But we aren't left with that in this particular passage. Because in verse 26, Jesus says to him who overcomes and does my will or literally my deeds to the end. We don't gain entry to heaven because our deeds are better than somebody else's deeds. We gain entry to heaven. We grow in our faithfulness because of Jesus deeds, because of Jesus work. And he imputes those works to us, that righteousness to us who believe in him and grasp him by faith. 
And we need to go to grow in our understanding of our utter incapability to have works, to have deeds that God finds worthy of salvation. That we are utterly and fully reliant upon the works, upon the deeds of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more we understand that, the more our faith grows and and the more we begin to, to bear up, to be able to persevere under the difficulties of life, under the tribulations that John and Jesus say throughout the book of Revelation, those tribulations that are going to come upon the life of the Christian. Where are you struggling to bear up today? Where are you struggling to serve in love? Grow in your faith. Grow in your understanding that it is Jesus' deeds who make, that make you right with God. And as you grow in that understanding, as you grow in that faith, your ability to persevere will grow. Your understanding of God's sovereignty will grow. The glory that God sovereignly chose you for salvation will give you the strength for perseverance. And so Jesus commends the church, the Christians in Thyatira, for their deeds of love and service and their deeds of faith and perseverance. But as happens with most of the churches that Jesus addresses, there are things that he needs to correct within the church. And he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Now, the word Jezebel is probably just kind of a a, a nickname, maybe, if you will, um, that Jesus gives. Likely, Jezebel was not the actual name of the person because John uses references to Israel's history, we, we can surmise, we can guess that there are um, Hebrew Christians within these churches who would have understood and taught some of the Old Testament stories. And, and Jezebel is, is one of those people kind of like, you know, that you just didn't name your child Jezebel. Just like in Europe in the later half of the 20th century, you probably didn't name your child Adolf. Jezebel was not a good woman. Jezebel was the daughter of the Sidonian king, and she was a worshiper of Baal and Ashtoreth, the two fertility gods of the pagan Canaanites. And she married the king of the northern kingdom, and his name was Ahab. Now, the northern kingdom, after it had split from the southern kingdom, in order to keep the people segregated, the first king set up his own center of worship and he created these two golden calves, much like happened in Exodus 32. He created these two golden calves and he says, come to these calves when you want to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so Rehoboam I set up this twisted, um, excuse me, Jeroboam I set up this twisted worship of the one true God And Jezebel took the northern kingdom away from this twisted worship of the one true God all the way fully into pagan worship. She taught the northern kingdom that it was okay to worship Baal and Asherah in the way that the pagan kingdoms did with all of the immorality that went along with it. And John and Jesus used this word picture by calling this this false teacher, by calling her Jezebel, to kind of put in mind the picture of what is going on in Thyatira. 
In Pergamum, we saw that there were individual Christians who had bought in to the teaching of Balaam, who taught that you could compromise with the pagan worship, you could compromise that with godly worship, and you could have your cake and eat it too. You could be accepted in the community by engaging in pagan worship over here, and you could be accepted in the church by engaging in Christian worship on Sunday. What you did Monday through Saturday didn't matter as long as you worship well on Sunday. Well, that was an individual opinion in the church of Pergamum. And the picture we get here is that you have a person standing in some level of authority teaching that it's okay. And God condones living as a pagan for six days a week and a Christian for one. Maybe this false teacher said, you know, God's grace covers all of our sins. And like Paul dealt with in his letter to Romans, maybe the maybe the declaration was, you know what? You will get more of God's grace the more you enter into sin. Or maybe it was just, you know, God wants you to proclaim the gospel. So do what you need to do to get an audience over here as long as you show up to church on Sunday morning. And this is what Jesus has against the church in Thyatira. Not only are you tolerating sin, you are tolerating false teachers. And the ultimate sin that Jesus confronts there is the sin of tolerance. Now in our culture today, the only sin is intolerance. Because loving people will tolerate any activity that their quote-unquote loved ones are engaging in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not concerned with the world's definition of love and of tolerance. Jesus is concerned with the purity and the holiness of his church. He takes it very seriously. So seriously that he identifies himself to the church in Thyatira with the picture from Daniel chapter 10, verse 6 of the Ancient of Days coming upon the nation of Israel and the people who are persecuting the nation of Israel in judgment. John is linking Jesus here to divinity, saying that he is fully God and fully man, and he is giving us the basis for which we profess in the Apostles' Creed. He will come to judge the living and the dead. The blazing eyes point to the omniscient knowledge that he has as the the one who sees hearts, who sees minds, everything that directs our actions, our reason, our emotions, our will, God knows. You may be doing good deeds on behalf of the church, but God knows your heart. And the glorious power of God represented in those feet of burnished, gleaming bronze is the picture of the God's judging power that will come upon the world and specifically here upon his church. You're going to think I'm a broken record. You're going to hear me say this multiple times throughout the book of Revelation. Jesus will come to judge the world. And he will start today with his church. He takes the holiness of his people that seriously. 
And he gets very specific with what's going to happen here in Thyatira. He says, for this woman Jezebel, her time's up. It's too late for her. I've given her opportunity to repent and she has refused. I've been asked before, is it ever too late for somebody? Yes, it is at some point too late for people. Now, you and I don't know that. We do not have the blazing eyes that see the heart and the mind. And so we'll talk here in a little bit how we work in light of that with those whom we love within our lives. But Jesus is clear here. He has given Jezebel time to repent and she has refused. We're, we're reminded of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where Peter says this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We often ask, why doesn't God jump in quicker and judge? Why doesn't God jump in quicker and stop the horrors of this world? It's because he's a gracious God. And he wants the people of the world to have time to repent. And if he's going to jump in quick and judge the sins of others, beware that he may jump in quick and judge yours as well. He has been patient with you and you worship him for it. Worship him for the patience he offers to others. But for Jezebel, that patient has run out and she will suffer tribulation. She will suffer sickness. She will suffer disease and she will be judged. And then Jesus goes on to give commands to three different people. The first is her children. And these probably aren't literally her children, but those who have wholeheartedly embraced and promoted her teaching. False teachers get a hold in the church because there are those within the church that lift them up and say, yes, this is right. And we should follow this false teacher. Jesus says they are going to die. And they will be judged in such a way that everybody will know that it is I who did this. There will be no doubt in the minds of the world around who witness the judgment that falls upon these people. That Jesus is the God who judges and the one who did it, did it. The second group of people is those who have likely been duped by this false teacher. They haven't wholeheartedly bought into it, but they're like, you know, she's using enough Bible words. She's using enough Bible verses. It sounds just right enough that, you know, maybe, maybe this is right. Maybe this is true. Notice here that Jesus says, you have time to repent. I am still patient with you. And, and unless you repent, I will, I will bring suffering upon you, but, but repent. Let me, let me say this again, brothers and sisters. We watch people in sin and we wonder why won't God do something about their sin, their horror, their violence, their, their repugnant behavior. It's because he's gracious. And he gives them time to repent. And so he calls this group of people who had been duped, who are, haven't fully bought into it, but are, are there beginning to follow her ways. He said, repent, turn away and turn back to faithfulness. And then he talks to those who are faithful in, in a way that is, that is really so gracious. 
you know, before I met Michelle and, and God decided to take all that learning that I had from years before and, and, and make it effective into salvation in my life, I, I left the church. And I always felt this tugging. It was the tugging of the spirit I know now, but I always felt this tugging, almost this, this duty that I needed to be back in the church. But I needed to get my life right before I was worthy to enter the fellowship of God's people again. And Jesus comes to these people who are faithful and he says, I'm not going to add any extra burden upon you. It's reminiscent of Acts 15 where the, the council of Jerusalem comes together and says, you know what? Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from idol worship. Abstain from food sacrifice to idols. We're not going to put any other burdens upon you. Jesus says to the faithful Christians here, stay faithful. You have embraced the simple truth of the gospel, the simple truth that you're a sinner, the simple truth that Jesus saves sinners, and the simple truth that as long as you believe and embrace everything, you are safe from the judgment that comes. Hold on to those simple truths. You're walking in faithfulness. You're walking in good deeds. Just keep doing what you're doing. Remain faithful to me. Don't backslide. Don't worry about getting any better. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Sometimes we work so hard at being faithful. When all God expects is that spirit empowered, just keep doing what you're doing. Just hold on to the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace and secure in the hands of God. And Jesus makes two promises to those who are faithful. The first is that you and, and yeah, the first is that you will rule with him in the heavens. He quotes from Psalm chapter two here in the, in the second half of verse 26 on through verse 27. It's, all, it's pretty much a direct quote from Psalm 2 where he says he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. That is, that is the authority given to God's king in Psalm 2 after God laughs at the nations who think they can usurp the throne of God. My king, God says, will dash the nations with an iron scepter. The Greek version of that actually takes that word rule and uses the word for shepherd. We speak in Psalm 23 of thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd carried a staff that he used to gently direct the sheep where he wanted the sheep to go. It was a, usually a, a somewhat flexible, a little bit of a crook at the end of it so that he could, he could kind of pull the sheep and direct the sheep. And it was, it was typically used gently. But he also had the rod that could be used to protect the flock from predators and also to punish the sheep that at times got too far out of line. The choice for the nations is that they can either be gently shepherded by the staff of the Savior, or they can be dashed to pieces with his iron rod. And we are told here that in some way we take part in that. We know from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that all authority has been given to Jesus. And with that authority, he, he gives us the authority of the Spirit and says, go, make disciples, baptize them. 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in some way, we are dashing the nations to pieces through the proclamation of those simple truths, the gospel. But we also know from 1 Corinthians 6 that when Jesus returns in some way, shape, or form, we will judge the nations with him. As part of the vindication of God's people, that they will stand in judgment in some way, shape, or form over the rebellious nations and the rebellious kingdoms. And, and Jesus says, that is yours now if you remain faithful. The second part of the promise is that, that he will give him the morning star. We, the morning star is, is typically the planet Venus, which was named for the goddess of victory. And the Romans thought that they were victorious over every other religious system. Until you get to Revelation chapter 22 and we are told that Jesus is the morning star in his kingdom. In the new heavens and the new earth. And so victory is ours. Victory belongs to the church. Victory belongs to you, dear brother and sister in Christ. The nations may rage. The nations may plot in vain. The nations may declare victory over the church and the people of God. But Jesus is the true morning star. Jesus is the true victory. And that victory is ours in him. So Thyatira is commended for their deeds. They are called out for their tolerance of false teaching. And those who remain faithful receive Christ and his victory and his power and authority over the nations. As we look at the church of Thyatira, we can compare it to the church in Ephesus who was so sold out to truth that they had forgotten love. While many in Thyatira were so sold out to love that they had forgotten truth. Jesus takes the holiness of his church and the faithfulness of its worth seriously. So how do we respond in the face of false teaching? For the church... Now, most of these letters we have not pointed out yet, but most of these letters flip-flop between the plural and the singular when it's dealing with the church and with the Christian. And so we see that these letters are, are, are addressed both to the church and to the individual Christian. So for the church, we have the process of discipline and church discipline. In Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, we have this process laid out for us. And in 2 Corinthians, we see restoration that comes after the process works itself out fully. But we have this process and, you know, we don't know when Jezebel was called to repent, but our hope, our prayer is that it was the elders of the church who stood up and said, repent. For God takes holiness seriously. So for the church, there's the process of discipline, which the church uses to maintain the peace, the prosperity. And the purity of the church. But for the individual Christian, how do you deal with this? partly under the Matthew 18 principles of church discipline, but you've got to live your life with people who have wholeheartedly bought into false teaching and, and many of them you love. So how do you deal with them? Well, first you love and you serve them. Now keep in mind, as we pointed out, love is not equal to tolerance. Loving someone doesn't mean that they don't know that you know what they are doing is wrong and deserving of God's just displeasure. But it does mean that you love them enough, first and foremost, to call them to repent. We, 
Our culture tells us so much that we need to just kind of back down off of our ethical high horse because, you know, Jesus ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. Absolutely, he did. But he didn't leave them there in their sin. He called them to repentance just as he did the religious leaders who were antagonistic to him. But he did spend time with them. He showed love and service. So how do we love and serve those who have fallen under false teaching? Is your home, is your heart open to them? Have you had a meal with them? Do they know you to be someone that even though your worldviews clash, your ideas of what are right and wrong clash, do they know that they can call you in a time of desperate need for a sympathetic shoulder? Yes, we need to have boundaries in certain situations. You don't let the meth dealer set up in your spare room. You don't stay in an abusive relationship. But do those who have come under the sway of false teaching know that, they, that you love them with the love of Jesus? Secondly, we practice faith and perseverance. Continue to grow in your knowledge of and love for God. As you grow in your love for God, your love for your neighbor should grow as well. Hold, hold tight to the simple truths of the gospel. You, you may be pressed and pushed with objections and, and reasons that people have not to believe, and you may not know what to do with those objections and with those reasons. Hold to the simple truth. You're a sinner saved by grace, held secure in the hands of God. And then don't fall prey to the teaching the false teaching of compromise. Brothers and sisters, you can trust wholeheartedly that the Spirit will use your loving service and faithful perseverance to break down the barriers in the life of the person that you love. I think the most loving, most faithful thing we can do is pray for those people. Jesus will be victorious You are victorious in him. Let us pray. Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would protect this pulpit and this church from false teaching. Lord, the temptation is there frequently to compromise. What you tell us is true. What you tell us is right. What you tell us is good. What is lovely. What is pure what is acceptable to you. The temptation is to look at the things of the world and say, well, you know, it kind of looks more lovely than what you say, God. So I think I'm going to run that way for a while. You're okay with that, right? Lord, may that not be. And then, Lord, I lift to you those in our lives, those that I love, those that the the people in the sanctuary love, who have seen the false teaching and have embraced it wholeheartedly and have turned their back on you. Lord, I pray first that you would extend your patience to them. Don't let it be too late. And Lord, give us the means by which we can love them, by which we can serve them, by which we can show our faith to them and persevere in the goodness of your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We worship a God of peace. And so take this blessing upon you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.